visitors from lots of different places today. Um, the only translation I've provided for the songs is from English to Farsi for the benefit of some of our brothers from Iran. Um, people from places like Yorkshire haven't done Yorkshire translation, sorry. Um, and I'm not going to do anything about my vowel sounds to accommodate people from Manchester either. Um, so we have a genuinely multicultural service this morning. I can't welcome you all by name, um, but you are all really welcome to be here as we gather together around the Lord's table to remember the death of Jesus and his victory over the grave and his resurrection and his ascension to heaven from whence we look to him to return. So, now that my slides are working, um, should we stand and sing our first song? The four hymns this morning will all be um, up on the screen. So we sing together, all creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, Hallelujah. And in whatever language you choose to say it, let's say together the prayer Jesus taught us. So we pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your will be done, the kingdom on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. So I have some announcements that Steve Gillingham has prepared for me. So these are the announcements I have from Steve. Here is the news that Jan has provided for us this morning. Pauline Price. So Rosie has reported that Pauline is becoming more frail and unsteady. She is receiving good care and seems to have several visitors, which is good, as she often gets lonely. Ruth reports that John Downer is doing quite well and making progress. Ruth is struggling with back strain, but is slowly improving. And um, a message that I had from Mark this morning. So, um, Elaine and Mark's little boy Joshua has two hospital appointments this week, and Mark's dad has a risky op- operation on his eyes on Wednesday. So let's remember um, that family in our prayers as well. Does anybody else have any care news that they'd like us to share and pray about this morning? Okay, so we didn't hear that, so his friend had a slightly premature baby. Um, Did somebody else stick their hand up? So Pearly, anybody else? So let's spend some time in silent prayer. Um, do stay seated while we do that. Um, bring before God all those people that we've heard about, um, people who've lost loved ones, about new babies coming to the world, about people facing um, uncertain times through hospital appointments and surgery. Um, and then in a few minutes, I'll lead us all in prayer. Father, in the light of a new day and the clear skies of this morning and the warmth of the sun streaming in through these windows, lift our hearts. Lift our hearts from all the cares that we've brought with us this morning about all the people that we've remembered before you 
and ourselves. Help us to take comfort in the eternal light of your Son, in the promise that all these troubles are momentary, and the certainty that life can be different in the joy of your kingdom to come. Amen. Let's stand and sing and confess our faith together. I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the Son of God. I believe he died and rose again. David Brighouse is going to come and encourage us from Matthew's Gospel and he's asked that we read together from Matthew chapter 9 and the first 26 verses. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came into his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain such evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up. And walk. But so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, Get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. And they praised God who had given such authority to men. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. While he was saying this, 
a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, Go away! The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in, took the girl by the hand, and she got up, and news of this spread through all that region. So I'll ask David to come and encourage us. Morning, everyone. Uh, it isn't just by chance, I'm sure, that, uh, well, not only Matthew in the, in the ninth chapter that we've just read, but also Mark and Luke record the occasion when Jesus brought back to life the daughter of a Jewish religious leader. And each of those three writers considered the incident sufficiently important for it to be included in their selection of events that they put together under God's guiding hand, of course, to illustrate the character, the manner of life and the teachings of the Son of God. It would be naive to imagine that everything that Jesus did and said is recorded in the Gospels. Uh, Any careful reading of them leads you to realise that they're not a diary. And John, of course, in, in the very last verse of his rather personal biography of Jesus says this, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So if, if an incident is recorded, we know that it's there for a purpose and it will undoubtedly teach us something worthwhile. And when an incident is found in all three synoptic gospels, we can be absolutely certain of its value. And there's often a hint that because three different personalities viewed it from different angles, as it were, we might expect to find things to interest us and to concern us at several different levels of understanding. And that is certainly what we find here in this story of the Jewish leader and his daughter, even though we can't honestly say that the three writers each clearly point to a different aspect here. In fact, they don't. In fact, uh, they all tell it substantially the same way. But it certainly is an incident that shows us scriptural truths on a number of different levels. For instance, even on 
to what well, I was going to say was the, the most superficial level, but you know what I mean. We, we can't fail to be moved by the compassion of Jesus and by his willingness to accept people as he found them. Uh, and he, of course, could see into their hearts. So take, for instance, this man who came to Jesus. Matthew uh, doesn't name him, although uh, both Mark and Luke identify him as Jairus. All three writers specify that he was a synagogue leader. Now, we all know, as a a broad generalisation, what kind of relationship existed between Jesus and the Jewish religious leaders. In fact, you see glimpses of it right there in Matthew chapter 9, don't you? Uh, At verse 3, they consider him to be a blasphemer because he implies that he can forgive sins. And uh, at verse 11, they make it quite clear what they think of a man who eats with tax collectors and, and other sinners. And Jesus knew who this man was. Of course he did. He could have turned around and said, I know your type. When have you ever done anything to help me? When have you ever acknowledged me? You can't seriously expect me to feel inclined to come to the assistance of someone of your sort. Hypocrites, all of you. But he didn't. Of course he didn't. Why? Because he saw in front of him an individual in deep distress. He didn't see a leader of the synagogue. He saw a man. A man for whom the reality of sin and death was overwhelming. He looked into the man's heart and he saw two things that moved him to compassion. He saw need and he saw faith. He saw a deep need for help, and it was the sort of help that only he could give, because, as he said on another rather similar occasion, he is the resurrection and the life. But he saw more than that. He saw faith. He could see that Jairus really believed in the power of Jesus to perform this miraculous act. Because Jairus hadn't said, oh, please come and at least try. Or see if there's anything you can do. He said, come and lay your hands on her and she will live. Total conviction in the power of Jesus. To hold such a conviction isn't arrogance, is it? On the contrary, it's surely an expression of great humility. Hold on to that thought, I'll I'll come back to it later. When we read this story in Matthew chapter 9, especially, but also in, in Mark 5 and Luke 8, we get a feeling for the urgency of the situation of Jairus. No long-winded introduction here, just a brief but pointed entreaty. Jesus' compassion for the man is clearly shown in what he did. At that moment, the greatest comfort to Jairus could be given by simply 
doing exactly what he'd asked. Jesus could have given him a, a dissertation on why it wasn't actually necessary for him to go there, remember the, the centurion's servant. But he didn't do that. He got up, seemingly w- without a word, no time to lose here, and went with Jairus. Now that to me says something special about Jesus the man who understood real human feelings and knew that emotional reactions sometimes cloud the issue for us, even when we've got the right idea as to the, to the theory, so to speak. You might have expected a comment from Jesus about faith, but he made none. Although an incident did follow very quickly that resulted in Jesus making a brief but significant remark about faith. It was spoken not to, to Jairus, but to a woman in the crowd around him, but its significance would surely not be lost on Jairus, as it should not be lost on us. I remember uh, that the woman had suffered a hemorrhage for 12 years, and contemporary medicine apparently had nothing more to offer her. She'd heard about Jesus and had come to believe that a mere touch of his clothing would bring her a cure. Now, whether her idea of this specific method, touching his cloak, reflected some kind of muddled or incomplete or inappropriate thinking on her part is is debatable, but uh, if we spend a long time debating it, we'll be concentrating, I think, on the wrong half of the sentence that contains her thoughts, because the important phrase is in the latter half of the sentence. If I do this... I will be healed. Not, you notice, I wonder if this will work. I will be healed. And again, we we see the compassion of Jesus. He could perhaps have said, well, don't bother me now. I'm in a hurry to go with Jairus. Or, Or perhaps, do you really think there's something magical about touching me? Or even... How dare you presume on my power in this way? Those are all conceivable human reactions, but they were not the reaction of Jesus. He simply said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. Just another example of the attitude of Jesus, the man. Jesus, the the son of God on earth, when faced with men and women with problems. Just a brief glimpse, one of many, but we ought not to miss them because it is this same Jesus, the Son of God now in heaven, who is our advocate with the Father. And his compassion for people with problems is undiminished. Your faith has healed you. That simple phrase establishes a link between those actual events described there in Matthew 9 and elsewhere and the lessons that we can learn from them on, uh, on a spiritual plane. The lessons aren't complicated, I'm sure I'm not going to say anything that isn't clear to you already, but they are relevant to our remembrance of Jesus Christ as the one in whom we trust as our saviour. In the case of... Uh, of Jairus' daughter. Some versions of the story say that she was dying, some that she was already dead. 
but in, in the context of our thoughts today, it hardly matters when you consider what Jesus said to one would-be disciple, let, let the dead bury their dead. We're all sinners, and in that sense, as good as dead already. What this little story in Matthew 9 shows us is an escape from death. So what can we learn from it? Well, we learn, I think, that there are two particular elements that must be present. There must be faith, and there must be action. You've got to believe that it can be done, and you've got to commit yourself to that belief. The the faith that, that Jairus brought, for instance, is there by implication in his words as Matthew records them but, uh, but all three writers describe how he committed himself irrevocably and publicly to that faith can you imagine what it cost Jairus and I'm not talking about money of 